I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, my rare friends. Welcome to the show. I am so grateful that you're here today. If you don't know or you just haven't gotten around to it yet, I wanted to tell you about Rare Disease Day. My friends Bo and Daniel, the two dudes from the Disorder Channel, and I were hosting uh, Rare Disease on Discord. It's an app that you can download on your phone, your computer, your tablet. Think like super nerdy, organized chat room. We have a bunch of different threads and we'll be adding more. Uh, we already have a community of a couple hundred strong and I'd love for you to join. It's a great place to find connection, resources, and just general banter as we all, you know, move through our days as rare disease parents and patients. So I hope you join. I'll leave a link in the show notes today. We're going to have experts uh, doing a live Q&A session. Uh, we're going to have topics like mental health, grief, inclusion, early intervention. So you can tune in, ask questions, or just read over it later. Now, today, I'm oh, so excited to introduce you to my friend. I just adore her, and her laugh always brings me so much joy. Today, we're talking about being an administrator for your kids and just general uncertainty of not really having a care plan for our kids, especially when you have a kiddo like hers who's living with constitutional mismatch repair deficiency, CCMRD, and he is the only one in the world right now identified with two defective genes from each of his parents. And he has some pretty intense medical needs, and he's already endured several surgeries. And, you know, there's just no standard of care. There's no plan. And we're kind of talking about that live wire in our episode today. And ugh, rare disease. You know, she's also the mama to her ninja princess named Ira, who passed away three years ago, who was also a rare girl with Bartle Beetle syndrome. She's endured so much on her rare disease parenting journey and more than most. And every day she's out here beaming and she's a courageous parent. She's an amazing advocate and she's making a difference every single day. To know her is to love her. Please enjoy my conversation with Parvathy Krishnan. Oh, Parvathy, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so happy to be here, Effie. I have been fangirling you for such a long time, and I'm so glad I get to talk to you. Oh my gosh, I love you right back. I'm so glad that we connected a while back through you being a member at Global Genes and just in our rare community in general. So yay, team, we made it happen several months after planning <laughs> yes, it. <we> <laughs> All right, Parvathy, well, give me a little bit about your story. 
tell me about your your rare disease momhood yeah, life. So uh, much like everyone else, my story has lots of ups and lots of downs. And it all started about eight years ago when my son at that time was four. And, you know, just like we had our plans, we had our plans. And we were helicopter parents. We knew at birth what was going to happen. And we had the most perfect plans. And then, of course, life happened. <laughs> and so when he was four, he started having blood in his toes. And we had no idea what that was. And a long diagnostic odyssey made short when he was six years old he had his first colonoscopy so yes you heard that right my six-year-old had had a colonoscopy and at that time they felt like something was really odd and they did genetic testing nothing seemed okay he had a lot of polyps which are sort of like this growth that you get in your colon and it didn't really add up but they kept doing colonoscopies every six months and it didn't get better and most of them were precancerous uh, they had done some genetic testing that did not yield any specific condition that they knew of. And so they said, we don't know what it is, but we're going to do our best. When he was eight, he had his first major surgery. It was an entire, they took out his entire large intestine and rectum. So he had a total proctocolectomy. He had the whole shebang. He had an ostomy bag. And it was at that time that they said, something still doesn't add up. Let's do this extra genetic testing. And... That's when we came to know that he had a condition called constitutional mismatch repair deficiency. It's a mouthful, CMMRD <laughs> to call it shortly. Uh, but basically what that means is he has two defective genes, one from each parent, and the gene mutation is in a gene called the EPCAM gene. As far as we know right now, he's the only one in the world identified with two um defective mutations in this gene. Basically what, is, what this means is his body does not recognize abnormal cells. And in his case, um, well, all abnormal cells could potentially be cancerous. In his case, most of these have occurred in the entire GI tract. So they took out his colon and rectum. And since then he's had multiple small bowel cancers, ampullary cancers. So yeah, there is no treatment to cure for cure. There's also no standardized treatment because it's a very rare disease. So we go with the flow and we have some amazing medical um, professionals and researchers and clinicians who are trying their best to help us. And that's my easy story. <laughs> There's your grocery store answer. Uh, though, yeah, the, the, my, my son's actually more straightforward. My daughter was born at the same time my son, my son had his first scope. And we asked all the doctors and we said, just to be sure. And they said, oh, yeah, he, 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 she or he may probably have the same condition that my son has. So we're like, OK, we got it. Our child may need scopes and we can handle that. She was born with extra toes and extra fingers and it had never happened before. And so we looked at them and they said, oh, you know, sometimes it happens. But when she was six months old, we we're told she had a genetic condition called bartet Beetle syndrome. And we're like, okay, what does that mean? Well, having that condition meant that she will eventually go blind. She will be developmentally delayed and morbidly obese in addition to many other conditions, many other associated um, symptoms. That was a new blow to us because we were like, okay, we got the scope part. We got the colon polyps part. What on earth do we do with this child now who has all of this? And so therein started another journey of uh, learning and understanding. Again, there's no cure for that condition, but there are many research studies that are currently ongoing to see what happens. But long story short, our wonderful 
warrior, we call her the ninja princess, uh, <laughs> through her lifetime had three other rare disease diagnoses added to her concoction. And she was very medically complex, received care in many different hospitals in the country, went into palliative care, hospice, and then passed away about three and a half years ago. So our journey, like I said, I've had many up some of our best memories and purpose in life is because of our children and some downs that we never prepared for. But that's our story. I'm so sorry for your loss. And I don't know where to begin. But we do have a plan because there is so much to your story. And it's so complicated. And it's, it's so it's, it's so hard. And dealing with all of that is, it's insurmountable. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today, right, is the ambiguity of figuring out how to actually take care of it and how the plan doesn't have a plan and how we need to figure out a way to make a system that works and that makes sense and that gives a peace of mind in a, in a way, right? One of the most common things we've heard is we don't know what to do and that's okay. <laughs> it's different when the parents say it. It's kind of odd. It takes a while to <laughs> process it when your doctor tells you that, especially when you're going to the best of the best. And you're like, oh, okay then. <laughs> what does that feel like when a doctor says, we don't know, and it's okay? I think at this stage in our life, because we have such amazing doctors that we know um, are doing everything they can, it it, it hurts. It still stings a little bit. Not going to deny that. But it also feels honest. And it feels like at least they're comfortable to tell us that, that they're also winging it, which could be positive because we know they're trying and they're trying everything. But when we started hearing that, you know, like when he had his genome testing and they found this out, they said he's the only one in North Carolina. We were like, what? really? Are you sure? <laughs> then <laughs> then we went to Boston and they were like, oh yeah, he's the only one in the country. We're like, what? Are you sure? And then finally we reached uh, Toronto, which they run the largest research study on this condition. You know, they, they run a whole lab and a consortium on this condition. And they said, yeah, this is so fascinating. He's the only one in the world. And we were like, okay, now you've got to be kidding me. Like, how do you go about putting the puzzle pieces together when there aren't anyone else to fill the gap? So it's been a process, but his, you know, this condition is ultra rare. We felt like that even when they told us that our daughter had this condition called Bardet Beetle Syndrome. And we, of course, went to Dr. Google and we read about everything. And we went back and we were like, oh, so when's she going to go blind? And they said, we don't know that. It could be when she's eight or 10 or 20 or 30. And we were like, what kind of plan is that? Like, we need to know. We want to show her the world. We want to do everything with her. And they were like, yeah, we don't know. It's slow, but it could be fast. You know, we went through all the emotions and we learned that no matter how much we hammer down and ask them the question in so many different ways, they gave us similar responses and you know, after hearing those similar responses, we today appreciate when they tell us, we don't know, but we're going to do our best to learn more about it. Is there any hope at all in not knowing? For our family in particular, um, knowledge is power. And we didn't know we had these genes, Effie. We didn't know our family 
each of us had these genes, but because of our children, uh, five adults in our families know, family now know we have one copy of this defective gene. So whether they, we have, not us, but anyone else, future kids, or, you know, they're thinking about it, it's, it's powerful because they can choose what they want to do with it. Uh, but I completely support those who don't want to test their children and, and, and feel better knowing that not knowing will give them that peace of mind and they don't have to care. Unfortunately, in our case, for us, we now want to know everything, but there's not, for us, there's hope in knowing because now we know we can proactively take measures to find these cancers sooner, to do what it requires to keep them with us as long as possible. So um, that's what hope is to us. So this was something that both you and your spouse had to have a copy of. Yes. Yes. So there is one person we know who neither of them had it and their child got it and they have many other kids, but it can happen de novo, but almost everyone else. There's only about 250 people or so in the world who have been diagnosed with it thus far. And I can't say for sure, but from my understanding, almost all of them, both adults had it. So the knowledge, the knowledge piece that your family has is they can pass on here is a 23andMe test on our dating. You know, the, it's funny that you say that. But the condition we have that just the one copy of the condition is called Lynch syndrome. One in 290 people in the US have Lynch syndrome and more than 95% of them remain undiagnosed. Yeah, I believe it. So the chances of potentially more kiddos like ours, you have a one in 25% chance. Now, granted, both our kids ended up having both copies. It's highly possible. So when you're dating or you're going to get married, it may be like, let's both do the Lynch syndrome test and see if we have it. But again, it it just means your own life expectancy is, is you know, is longer. We just, we get scopes more often. We get screened more often, whether it's a mammogram or anything else. But again, knowledge is power. We have that odd combination where we're a family with an ultra rare disease or a rare disease, but it manifests itself as cancer, which is equally, <laughs> if we had to pick which one's worse, neither of them are better, you know? So um, that that's the thing. The cancer rates are increasing, but also we are better at diagnosing them a lot sooner. So. To us, hope is advocacy, awareness, knowledge. I get messages from people who are like heartbroken when they realize that they passed something down to their kids. What would you say to them and the grief and just the stuff that they're holding on to oh, with that thought? That is, oh, <laughs> we struggle with it. So I think every rare disease parent, adult, child, patient, everybody needs therapy. But <laughs> that being said, in a very serious note, we've gone through the whole gamut. Our life with this started when our son was six. Since then, you know, he's he's become a teenager now and his questions, his frustrations, his anger, his his processing, his reasoning, his everything has changed and we've changed with it. And while we can potentially carry that guilt that we did give it to him, we didn't know we had it. And so I have had these conversations with him where he's asked me things like, would you have still had me if you knew? And I let me tell you, that was way Ugh. harder to deal with than just <laughs> oh having the God. guilt of passing it on to him. Totally. I was like, what? Those darn kids. Yeah, I know. That 
I, I never appreciated my daughter being nonverbal until that point because I was like, well, the sweet baby doesn't ever ask me these tough questions. But it was worse when he, <laughs> when, trust me, it's really sad medical parenting, but that's what I laughed about. I was like, oh, thank God, only one kid's asking me this question. Just the lovely gallows humor. Pretty much. Um, it was harder when he asked questions like, will my children get it? Or what can I even have children? Or can I have children without these conditions? And I felt like my heart being ripped out. And that was when I was like, oh, dear God, I wish we had known before. We wouldn't change ever having these kids because they are the, our world. But we we told him and he knows and we told him. we did not know. But even if we did, we would you would still we would always still want you. But to the parents who are learning about it now, it takes a while. And, and the question really is, you're, the most important question to tell your, or ask yourself is, would we have it any other way? And if, if your answer to that is yes, yes, I would love it too if my child did not have any of this, but do we have a choice? Not really. This is what we were chosen to do. And so again, knowledge is power. We know it today. And what can we do about what we know? Um, today. And that's all I focus on. <laughs> Thank you. Do you feel oddly lucky that he has a cancer diagnosis attached to this in the form of care and research and resources? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> yes, for sure. Before you knew that it was cancer, what was the change like in getting that diagnosis on top of what you were dealing with? There's not a rare disease doctor. I've been looking. There's no one that, you know, there's no one that just says, I'm a rare disease doc. I'll take care of you, even if you don't have anything serious going on. And I felt like oncology gave us that home. They gave us resources. They gave us, um, oddly, a place to call our own because they have at their disposal. It sucks. Like cancer sucks. Nothing, nothing makes it worse and even in cancer pediatric cancer is like the most underfunded the most under researched uh, not taking any of it away but there's still an oncology team there is no rare disease team and i think we have so much more to do for the community there's the need is so high and and th that's the only silver lining that we have found is that even though we have an ultra rare disease, it manifests itself as cancer, which means that at least in this space, there is more research. There is potentially more support. There is more ownership of we'll take you in as a patient. One of the more difficult parts of this journey is whether it's rare disease or cancer, our cancer is different because we don't have a a plan that's given to us. So, you know, when they diagnose them with cancer, with this cancer in this one region, it's not like, oh, here's the plan for the next year. Here's your chemo regimen. Here's your, you know, surgical plan. And then you're done. Ours is like the hamster wheel. <laughs> we are never done. Um, because it's a genetic condition, he will keep getting cancers. So aggressive monitoring is what is our plan, which changes because, you know, we, he gets monitored every three months, but Oh, what? Guess what? It, this month, they found something. They found cancer. So it's not the same anymore. For the next six months, you're going to get this clinical trial treatment. If it works, great. But if it doesn't, then we'll have to come up with another plan. And if it works, you'll go back to that monitoring every three months until we wait for that next shoe to drop, which will be a new cancer again. So yeah, it's it's hard. You know, we don't... we we're, we. 
We don't have a leukemia lymphoma society. We don't have a breast cancer awareness society. We don't have a society for just wait and watch cancers, you know, and and that's going to be the same for the rest of our lives. Man, I mean, the uncertainty that you're walking with every day has got to be a crazy maker. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, with rare disease, we can't plan. This just takes it to a whole other level, <laughs> right? Um, it really does. And you have this beautiful boy who looks like he's smiling in these appointments and looks like he's trying to be strong or that he is strong. How is this going for him right now? Because I know you guys have been on the road a lot. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting you asked that question. Um, shout out to all medical families who travel because it is insane. <laughs> it is just, you know, even like in your case, going to the park, it's not just, let's just go to the park. It's everything we planned before and after and everything in between. And that's one of the things I actually had an aha moment in a not so good way <laughs> when I told our, our medical team, I said, you know, it's amazing that you guys are doing everything. Don't take that away from what I'm going to tell you. But it's very hard when we have to come every three weeks, whether, you know, it's it's local or somewhere else. The processing time is 24-7. So while you're telling us, hey, it's wonderful you had your chemo or you had your scope or whatever, you know, come back in three months or come back in three weeks. Literally, if it's every three months, the month before we come like his scheduled you know procedure day there's this sense of anxiety building up in our in more than the adults he he feels it so it's like okay one month before the actual procedure we're worried we go for the procedure it takes us one month to recover from it because it's like oh god you know we traveled but there's prep and there's you know mental prep there's physical prep you're leaving your house you're doing all these things you're moving it along then the results come and you're like, do I be happy you didn't find something? Or do I be worried that you may have missed something? And we literally only have one month in between where we're like, okay, we've dodged that bullet, <laughs> you know? And sometimes the clinical trial he's on, it's every three weeks or every six weeks. And so my aha moment of breakdown was, when will this ever end? And we don't want it to end because then we're essentially saying there's no treatment. Um, and it took a lot of of processing, of accepting, of understanding that they're trying their best to give us that one month break in between. And if it's three weeks, then it's one week in between. But helping him process it has been the hardest because, you know, so we don't have a social life as adults. We're just basically, you know, administrators for our children. <laughs> and so seeing the toll it took on him whether it was school or his social life or or the fact that he couldn't go to the school that he used to love anymore because the services that he needed weren't available you know those were harder things to process like how do you feel uh, and and it it's become more apparent the older he's grown because he processes so much more but hearing him ask those questions hearing him have a say in the medical plan really is a learning curve that we're processing. So yeah, it's it's a continuum of learning. Let's put it that way. Oh, man, those 
aha bathroom floor moments. One, I can't believe that a doctor could ever remotely be annoyed or mad at you (laughs) with your general personality. But that is, that's a lot. And especially with him growing and being more aware and getting a voice in his care. And the fact that you just called yourself an administrator, it's... It's a lot. Yeah, it's what we all do. And that's, you know, and I, I am happy for parents who have at least one kid who doesn't have a rare disease in the family, because hopefully that gives you some insight into the other side of the world that don't deal with rare diseases, where it's like, let's just do a, I don't know, ballet class or a play date where we don't have to think about, does it mess with the meds? Does it mess with access does it you know like i just and and it's it's a running joke in our family because i tell him like should we just go like adopt more kids or have more kids and he goes no that would be a mess but you know (laughs) because i'm like maybe we'll we'll just be happy like going and cheering them on to do things you know and not to not belittle this process but it was just one of those things where we were like we crave normalcy so much because we don't know there's no rule book on how to make this life normal or whatever normal is. So what do you think, what were some solutions or responses when you brought this huge problem up and what things need to be put in place to make things like this easier for families like yours? I mean, like, can some of this medication be sent to your local doctor and have it administered there? Are there things you can do by yourself and monitor it over video? Like, how can they make this more accessible to families who are constantly living with chronic stress and doing what you're doing? I think first, find people in your community who get that you have to drop everything and go. If you have to go, you have to go. Um, Literally. (laughs) So whether it is, um, if he has a bleed and I have to go to our local hospital, or if they tell us like they did the day before Thanksgiving that we want you here the next week because we have some not so great news to share. Um, have find one or two families that get it um, and, and they are not in the rare space or they don't have a medically complex child. So they are able to take over whether it's your dog or your house um, because that's just life. And that's whether you have the clinical trial craziness or not, find that one family that can care and say yes we'll take it. we'll take everything else you drop into our fold and you go do what you have to do talk with your medical plan medical team for a medical plan that's always going to be ambiguous but will still have some sort of structure to it so in our case we told them not knowing what's coming up in terms of procedures or infusions or or just having a follow-up date makes us very anxious. We had to go through a special round of therapy when we had to stop a clinical trial because, you know, we as parents were so worried, what's going to happen if you don't see us? And it became amplified when we actually heard Yash say it, that, oh my God, what if the cancer comes when you're not seeing me every three weeks and then what will happen? And that's when we were like, okay, our fears are real, but we also have to understand he's, he's worried about it. So we asked them very specific questions and we told, we had it as a group conversation and we said, what are some of those signs? What are some of the things we have to do so we can do it from home? And that really helped. And having it as a group helped because it was like, 
something we all had to have a say in. Like, you know, we, we he's much older now, so I can't follow him around asking him questions when he was empowered to say, okay, if I feel all this, I have to tell my parents. Or if my parents feel all this, they will tell me or worry about it and then escalate the care. So having clear, as clear as possible guidelines from your medical team about what to do in between these ambiguous plans where they're like, we don't have to do anything for the next few months. So, you know, go chill at home. You're still worried. What are you going to miss? So ask them, what do we need to look for? Um, have a team close to your home that you really trust, a medical team, um, or in our case, we have a fantastic palliative, palliative care team that follows our family. Um, we have the same team with our daughter and we have them um, following Yash as well. Even though he's, he's nowhere near hospice, we're very cognizant that we need that complex care from their team. And I think that changed our perspective so much more because it gave us the confidence that we have a team that we've worked with that understand our family, understand our child and will help us do what we have to do or help us make those decisions we have to make. No matter what they are, any medically complex decision, we can reach out to them and be like, do we stay here? Do we go? Do we ask? Do we not ask? We know we have that team to fall back on, um, but we also know they will help us with any local care that if your disease state is has a clinical trial or it has a advocacy organization that works with researchers and clinicians, then please reach out to them before they even get to the clinical start trial stage, pre-clinical trial to say, we would love to have therapy available in different parts of the country. Um, we would love to have these trials open to different regions in the country so that you don't have to travel thousands or hundreds of miles to get this special medication. So having that access, telling them what matters to you. Um, you know, for us, it's not even the chemo or the cancer, it's the scopes that's really painful and hard to watch or um, then six-year-old or now 13-year-old go through those. So it's like the question I ask all the time, what's the prep? Is there another prep? So asking, telling them what the endpoints are that really matter and what would make a difference to your life. So if you're if you have an advocacy organization or you work with researchers, talk to them about the real struggles you go through so they can then do research on those as well. It's funny because there's so much you need to know. And you're right. There isn't just this rare disease doctor that tells you what to do. And even if there are these advocacy groups and you've had this palliative care, a special group who was there with you for IRA, but they still aren't necessarily connected to the stuff outside of it, right? The stuff with the clinical trials and outside care. So you're still managing all of that and having to interpret that to everyone all on your own. And it's something that you've just had to go through and learn rather than be able to kind of go to this magical library and be told, focus on these things. These things will help no matter what. These are your guideposts. I wish, right? We would be so much better off for the community if we had a, a guidepost of how to navigate this life. And I've told this, and if you can talk to residents or, or, or the medical school near you, this is this is the part that you really need to drive home to them is our life outside of that visit with them is way more difficult than what problem we're going to them for. And, and that's the part that we really need help with is figuring out how do you navigate? Like we didn't know we had to do IEPs. That's a whole other issue that we didn't know was not available if you didn't go to a public school. We didn't know hospital school was avail available. 
there's just so much to learn. And I think it all starts with asking questions. You know, we teach our children, you can never, there's not a wrong question. You can never ask enough questions. Um, but I feel like we forget that as we become adults, because we have the sense of, oh, I should know this, or will it sound not so smart? But in reality, if it's a rare disease, I think you have a pass to ask any question. There's no wrong question. And unless you ask, you won't know. And and if you if they don't know, it's okay for them to say that because then you can take information back to them and say, great, you didn't know. I have found out. This is what I think you should do the next time someone asks you these questions. Mm-hmm. I always think about something Amber Freed said. She said, no matter what room I'm in or who I'm talking to about my child, I always end with what didn't I ask? What didn't I ask? Because I don't know even what to ask, right? Like there are things that I still don't know exist with my care for Ford. And I'm sure you with Yash, like yep. what don't I know to ask yeah. is a valuable and extremely important question. Huh. I, in fact, was so worried about it one time. And this was a joke. He was in the ICU. Like that, this was totally not the appropriate time to do, do it. And I knew it. But I, I looked at one of his doctors and I was like, just throwing it out there. If there's CRISPR gene editing, gene therapy, anything at all, consider us, like, sign us up for that trial. You know, just just saying, you know, blanket statement, I'm telling you today, we will guinea pig ourselves or our child. Like, just do it. And then she just looked at me and she's like, okay, but we're nowhere close to that. And I was like, I know, I know that what I'm going to tell you anyway, because let it not be that I didn't say something and it didn't happen because of that. And so all the time, like, we... It's humanly impossible for anyone to know any everything. And my my son says this to them now. He says, you know what? I am the expert because like you say, I am the only one in the world who has this. And now we just roll our eyes. We're like, oh God, what's he going to tell them now? But it's usually <laughs> great snippets and, and, and valuable information that we need to know. But the reality is like like the medical teams have always said, I truly now believe we do know our children the best. And so it is upon us to not stop asking. And also kudos to Amber and I love her. Like also, what are the questions I didn't ask? And, and you know, it's it's on us and, and that's our superpower and that's, that's what we have to do. And we're stronger for it, so. Mm. Amen. What are some of the best resources that you've found lately? that have really made an impact on how you're taking care of your son or taking care of yourself or managing all of your administrative duties. <laughs> Pro tip, it's okay to say no to a medical team. It's very hard. It's very hard. The first time we did it, I felt so guilty because, you know, they had said they wanted to, to, they had gone through a lot of pain and I felt really bad and I still do, but they went through a lot of effort trying to bring a few different specialists together. And unfortunately, the day they picked was a day we had planned something for Yash that we had planned for a while, which we never do. So never plan anything is another pro tip, but we had. And so we told them, we're so sorry we are not going to make it for this unless it's later in the afternoon. And they were almost taken aback. They had never heard us, heard us ever turn down an appointment or request for it to be rescheduled. And it was at that point I felt like, why did I wait this long to do this? Like, yes, they are prioritizing our child, but so are we. And, you know, 
just like they say his mental health is most important and his his uh, whatever is priority this was what would have made him happy and it was worth us telling them we can't do it and so for me that would be the number one pro tip to give is it's okay to say no if you feel very strongly about something in the end you have to live with the decisions you make whether it's life and death in terms of palliative care and hospice or treatment plans or a simple I am sorry that date will not work with us. In terms of support, Effie, unfortunately, my biggest support, or or fortunately for me, has been social media, uh, has been connecting with people like you or Sarita or you know many other amazing advocates because they give me hope. And it, this is this truly is something I believe to the core. Um, we all are rare and different, but we're really not that different. Our struggles, our challenges, our wins, our celebration moments remain the same. You know, in the end, we all are connected either because we're patients or we're, we're parents. And for me, more than anything else, just being out there and meeting people and listening to what they have to say, following their journey, um, no matter what the diagnosis or what their course is, has helped me also put into perspective our own life because it's like, yeah, yeah, it sucks to go back to the hospital, but guess what? We're not the only ones doing it. And it's because of that, that it's okay. This is just a part of our course. So when it comes to managing calendars <laughs> or, um, you know, whether it's insurance or anything, ask questions. Say no if you can, if you absolutely believe that it's helpful to say no and and ask questions before you say yes and and that's okay there's there's amazing things like Global Genes has wonderful toolkits that help us when we're not in that moment of crisis or if we need that extra help i love courageous parents network i love their podcast i love all of the stuff that they put out there because like other rare parents who haven't lost a child i grieve the child i have just as much as the child i lost because we grieve the life we envisioned and, 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 you know, while we know that we are thrilled and, and would not change the life we have with him, that doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, in our DNA, we had something else thought about. So we're literally changing everything we grew up believing or we grew, grew up thinking. And so for me, you know, sites like uh, organizations like Courageous Parents Network actually provide that comfort that I don't see in other places, not just for the, you know, grief part of it or the bereavement part of it, but also for the fact of dealing with my child who is with me now. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, to all of that. First of all, saying no to the medical team after everything that you went through <laughs> For your family and for your preserving some sense of control and happiness, kudos to you. I just like had that gif of Taylor Swift with that whip in her hands. The whole there time. we go. I know. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> and also just kind of a snapback too, right? For your medical team to go, okay, yes, we are a team and everything about this matters, including outside of the office. So that's important. Social media, I mean, you know what I'm going to say about that. I'm obsessed. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I am. I don't even know where I would be today without the people I have met. 
yes, you, yes, Serena, Daniel Bo. I mean, everybody, like, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have social media. I mourn for the parents before us that did not have the internet. And yeah, and the ideas, right? The 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 ambiguous grief, the grief before, the grief of the, what we thought. I always used to say that it was like this fictional movie that I had in my head, but it's almost even more than that. Like we made statues and yeah. we polished them and we put them on our mantles. Like they were in our home already. They were a literal piece of our of our being in in our heads. <laughs> and it is really, really difficult to throw those out. It's validation though when you follow like when you when you just learn about others. I don't know. There's a lot of people who thrive without social media and kudos to them as well. I'm just like, oh my God, I literally will feel like I'm drowning. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I mean, and, and you know, we all have our timers and we know this is not life. But but the, the different part is, and I told someone this, I said, not all social media is bad. You know, it depends on who you choose to follow. It depends on what you believe when people post. And I can say this for sure. There's no rare disease person that I'm following that posts for likes or whatever. They're just doing it because they want to share their life and, and you know, just bring awareness. And there's so much power to that. And I think that's what makes it different. 100%. Yeah. It's just like what you are, what you eat. You are what you social media, period. <laughs> true. So you true. are in charge. <laughs> you are in charge of what you're following and what shows up in your feed and who you connect with period. I would definitely like to just reiterate your resources that you mentioned with Global Genes and Courageous Parents Network and the Disorder Channel. Like Those are pillars of strength and things so many people with different backgrounds and different angles to where they are in rare disease, whether they're a caregiver or a sibling or whatever, can all go to to find support in some way or another. Absolutely. And if you don't have social media, you can definitely watch the Disorders Channel to feel like yeah, you there's like, something. You're watching TV. <laughs> no, but you <laughs> totally. know, if you, if you need to feel connected, if you need to feel belonged to a community, what better than to like watch it represented in a movie or in a short like podcast? You guys do that as well online. And it's like one of those things where I'm like, I love that you do Clubhouse because I don't have to look presentable i it's just listen and ch chime in you know it's not another zoom meeting but there's so many different avenues and god i don't know how even i lived seven years ago through this without all of these various you know avenues to express or listen to others even just shaking your head sometimes I, we none a lot of us don't talk but you know we're pressing on that icon to to clap for the person sharing we're like amen i, I just wanted some validation here you know? mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I really do think that's one of the most special things about it all is how passive it is, because I think that's something we as rare parents need so much because we are so consumed that we need to be able to just go to that story or go to that show whenever we feel like it, whenever we have time, fit it in the car, fit it in that night that the kids finally maybe fall asleep or whenever. Like You can call upon these types of resources because they're set in stone. They're always going to be there. And you can rewind it and fast forward it and visit it on your own time. And you don't have to give them anything of yourself. 
Yep. Okay. Well, tell us about the award that your son just won because that's amazing. He was nominated <laughs> for the same thing. Well, yes. For us, it seemed like a big win for the Every Life um, Rare Voice Award. It's actually tomorrow, so very excited to join and cheer everyone. Uh, he was nominated because he's been participating. He's so he has that like I need to do something. Both because he's lost his sister, but he also knows he sometimes even says it. I feel like I'm a ticking time bomb because you never know what's going to happen. And while he jokes about it and he has a very dry sense of humor, it may scare some people if they don't know him. He actually um, participated in, in Rare Disease Week events and, and has done some videos for the STAT Act. And he actually, that's his his way of, he, he truly feels legislation and changing um, educating congressmen and congresswomen and the you know all of their aides is is the way to go because he feels like if someone has to wait to you know save me because I have CMMRD that's never going to happen because I'm only the only person in the world so we should do something for all rare diseases because that way everyone will be able to benefit from whatever little changes that they can make so. That's where his true passion lies is 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 bringing that change and bringing bringing a call to action from a legislative perspective. Um, and so, yeah, that was one of the reasons he was nominated. And it's just such a honor to even think that at, at 13, someone could recognize him and nominate him. And then he was on that. You know, he's still it's, it's always a wonderful boost to the work that he wants to do. And it tells us to put up with all of his crazy idiosyncrasies for the greater good because he talks a lot. And so this helps us steer him in the right direction to talk. What a visionary. <laughs> and he looks so handsome in his suit. So oh, proud of him. You. And I'm so glad his brain goes in that form of advocacy because that makes my well, that like puts wrinkles on my forehead to even think about trying to deal with. So I'm glad that's his passion. Um, but also like, man, as a parent, that has got to feel so amazing. Yeah. Like think about how happy people are when their kid gets like student of the month and that they talk about it for a year. Your kid is being recognized at 13 nationally because of his voice in changing policy and advocating for other people. That Parvathy is a job well done. Oh, thank you. We're we're very proud. In fact, he is he's one of those where we're like, okay, to TMI. They don't need to know everything. He goes, I think they do. And I'm like, okay, it's not that serious. It's okay. You know, just take a deep breath in and out. He goes, I got this. I'm like, okay then. So it's 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 quite interesting how all our children are wired. And you have a spitfire in your little one there who, who I can see this in the future. Um, because she doesn't hold back her thoughts either. But I, I'm so thankful that every life has stepped into the space to provide this voice for young adults and, and you know, starting early um, in the teen level where it's not something that's, there's no space for these children to talk to um, or to talk about. And so I'm so thankful that Every Life has given this opportunity and the space for young adults to feel empowered to even share these things. Um, it's, it's a very niche area. There's not very many support groups. There's not a lot. So finding purpose and, and stewarding them uh, to do this is actually quite empowering because it's, a, it's you know, as adults, we feel isolated a lot of times. Um, and, and, and I can only imagine as a kid not having peers who really get it. 
Um, but having this platform to say, hey, we give you this platform to talk about it, to 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 recognize this, I think is just brilliant. Mm, yes. Adding the Every Life Foundation into that list of powerhouse resources. Yes. So cool. Oh, Parvati, I could just, I mean, we're just yammering on. I could just talk to you forever. <laughs> and I know, you know, you're this happy, bubbly, just really bright spirit. And I know how much you're going through and I know how much you're dealing with. And I know how much being that person is also part of the coping. But I just want you to know, like, you have such a strong, powerful voice and you mean so much to so many people and you are really, really special. And Aww. you you <laughs> really you. are. There's there's a lot of uniqueness to to your advocacy and the way you go through, go about it. So I hope you know how special you are. Oh, thank you so much, Effie. And I know this was a long time coming. And <laughs> the, the day I found the topic, I was like, I have to just tell Effie, I have to talk about these ambiguous <laughs> medical plants that we go through and never ending loops and, you know, no answers. But it has been such a pleasure to actually finally like spend all this time with you and talk to you and I can't wait to see you in person so same and you can talk about anything with me anytime <laughs> absolutely you're just such an easy person to talk to that's why <laughs> <laughs> so are you well I think that uh everything you shared is gonna have so many people nodding along with you in solidarity and that means a lot so Thanks, Parvathy. I'm so happy you got to be my guest today. Yes, and thank you for all of the stuff that you're doing. Truly, truly. we. I wish I had this seven years ago where I could just listen and be like, aha, someone gets it. Someone gets it. Because sometimes I listen to your podcast and I'm talking to myself and my family thinks I'm crazy. And I'm like, nope, nope. I'm just agreeing to what Effie said or the speaker said. And I am just glad that someone's recognizing it. You know? Yes. So thank you for doing what you're doing, Effie. Absolutely. Take care. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.